If you'll bear with me, listen to this little story. So three guys were working on a wall and they were laying brick. And a guy came up and said to the first one, what are you doing? And he said, well, I'm laying brick. And he asked the second guy, what are you doing? And the guy said, well, I'm building a wall. And he asked the third guy, what are you doing? And he says, I'm building a great cathedral. And that's exactly what I've been trying to get across the last few weeks as I get you to think outside the box. What are you doing with your life? How can you have a different perspective? And hopefully I'm giving you a grander vision for how you're going to live the rest of your life than just simply existing, getting up, going to work, coming home, watching TV, and then going back and doing it all over again. What is the greater life? What are some greater things that God would have you to be a part of? And so my message this week, as I, as I kind of wrap this all up, I want to give you probably the most out-of-the-box thought that would guide your life, and then I want to conclude the series by giving us a closing challenge. So uh, would you just pray with me for a minute? Father, thank you for bringing us together. I love you, and I love these people here, and I just pray that you'd fill this place with your love. Thank you for uh, what you're going to do in our minds. You've told us not to conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed. May some of that happen right now in this place, in Jesus' name. Amen. So what's the most out-of-the-box thought that you could have? Here it is. Are you ready? The most out-of-the-box thought that would guide your life is that the life you're living right now is not really your real life. That the amount of time that you will spend, the 70 or 80 years that you spend in this life, is really just preparation for eternity. And the life that you live now is just a very, very small part of your real life. And one day, we're all going to have that moment when we cross over from this life into eternity, and we're going to stand before God. And see, the most important thing you can do with your life is to be ready for that moment. The very first uh, thing that's going to happen when you cross over into eternity is there's going to be this moment. It's called this, this great judgment that everybody's going to face, and you're going to be standing there, and the question's going to be asked, is your name written in the book of life? And you know what the book of life is? It's God's list of, uh, and you don't get into that book by just doing a bunch of good stuff, like random acts of kindness. My mom was a Christian, and we went to church a lot. I was very religious. You don't get into the book of life that way. The only way you get in the book of life is by trusting Jesus Christ. And you see, we can't keep our own standards of righteousness, let alone God's. Can't even do it. And so we've got a long list of things, mistakes, sins, and problems that we've done, and we can't make up for those. I mean, we can do some other good things, but it doesn't take care of our sin problems. So, so Christ came, died on the cross, paid for all of those sins, and now anyone who would acknowledge that they need him and simply say, God, I, I need your mercy. I need your forgiveness. I can't take care of the sin problem that I have. I need you. And in that moment, when you acknowledge that, Jesus becomes your Savior. And he becomes your Lord. And you say, Lord, from this day forward, my life is yours. Now, the person that does that, their name's in the book of life. And they enter into eternity that God has prepared for them. Okay? So if that's already been done, then the other great thought in life is that what are you going to do with the life then that God's given you? If he's forgiven you and he's uh, secured your eternity, what's he expect for you? And the great out-of-the-box thought is, is your life 
going to matter? Are you going to make a difference? Are you going to get out of the box? And I asked you at the beginning of this series to think about making a bucket list. A bucket list of things that you want to do with your life, some great things. And some of them are just things you want to do, and some of the things that you should do, and other things that you could do if you tried really hard and you worked at it. But then how about having some things on your bucket list that there's no way they could happen unless God got involved. They're, they're things that only God could do. They're greater things, and they require God. You should definitely have some of those things on your list. And the minute you have some things on your list, it's not your list anymore. It's really, you know, this is something that only God could do, and it doesn't become your list. And I want to ask you a question tonight as you think about this. Whose bucket list are you really living for? Whose bucket list are you living for? It's not like God has a, a bucket list. I mean, <laughs> you think that's kind of weird, right? I mean, how, God's not going to kick the bucket. So he doesn't have a list, and he's done everything. But he actually does have a bucket list for you. The book of Ephesians tells us that you're God's masterpiece. And he made you to do works that he created and designed for you to do before you were even born. So, so God has a bucket list for you. And the question is, are you going to just go out and create your own, or are you going to figure out what God wants you to do and do the works that he's planned for you? So at the end of the life, at the end of your life, you'll come into that moment in eternity, and he will say to you these words, well done, good and faithful servant. You're faithful with the little things I gave you. Now I've got more things for you to do. Enter into the joy of your Lord. That is what you got to be living for. That one day you'll stand before God and he'll say, well done. You took care of the things that I assigned for you to do and you did them so well. Now enter in. I've got greater things for you to do. How do you align yourself with his dreams? And how do you know that it's God's bucket list and not your own desires and wishes? It's a good question. You'll know if what you are giving your life for will outlive you. That it's not just something that you want to do for yourself, but that the bucket list has eternal value. It's an, it has an eternal legacy. I talked about Dr. D.L. Moody last week, and his legacy wasn't so much his great name. It's the fact that millions of people have come into, gone into an eternity with Christ because of his legacy. And his work lasted into eternity. And see, God doesn't need your work, but the world needs your work. There are people that God loves who are hurting, and they cry out to him, and they say, God, do you hear me? And God, who's forgiven you and secured your eternal salvation, doesn't need you to work to get into heaven, but he says, I'm hearing the prayers of some people, and I've forgiven you and taken care of your future. Why don't you go help them? You know, I've taken care of your sin problem, and I'm hearing a child that doesn't have any parents. Will you go help them? There's a woman who's being trafficked a bunch of times a day, and I want you to go rescue them, not because you need to do that to get into heaven. I took care of that, but, but I'm hearing their prayers, and I want you to do something about it. You see, when I was a child, the scripture says, I thought in a childish way, like I thought life was all about me. But then I grew up and I started to mature and realized life's not about me at all. And God calls me to a life of greater things. He's got a bucket list and some things that he has planned for you to accomplish. Whether you participate is your choice, but the goal of life would be is you'd stand before him one day and he'd look at you and he'd say, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. You passed the test. 
I got greater things for you to do. Come, enter into the joy of your Lord. And in light of the mercy and the forgiveness that I've given to you, what's your legacy going to be? When you're young, you don't think much about legacy, but I'm getting older. I'm, I'm a whopping 44. I'm, I see 50 in the headlights. I, some of you have already been there, but it's starting to hit me. The word 50, I'm thinking, that is not too many years away. That makes me think about what's my life going to have count, what's it, what's it going to mean, what's it going to count for? You know, here, here's the, what legacy means. Legacy is what you leave behind that, that others can build on, and it has eternal value. It wasn't just a, a consumption of your own life for your sake, but, but you built some things that lived on. Like, like, your legacy is what your kids will receive. Like, whoever, whatever you built with your life, it's what they get, and whatever you did with your life is what other people will be touched by it. And in the end of the day, God loves the world, and he's trying to bring people into his family. And he has some works for you to do to bring as many people as possible into his family. And he's asked you to participate in that and to build an eternal legacy. Are you hearing what I'm saying tonight? Is this kind of making sense? So I want you to have God's perspective on what he's building. Like the man who is working on the wall, it's so much more inspiring when you know you're not just laying brick or you're even building a wall, but you understand that you're a part of something that is great. God is using you to build a great cathedral. So I want to show you a verse in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, and it's going to just be a very simple verse that explains, here's what God's doing in all of us and why he brought us together. Take a look at this. God's building a family a living family. He describes, he uses a metaphor. He calls us living stones, like we're part of what he's building, but we're alive. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. We have God's breath inside of us. He's made us alive in Christ, and he's going to use us together to build something. He says, you also are like living stones. You are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Did you know that, that God... God's intent was that you would be a priest. <laughs> and some of you thought, I've been called a lot of things in life, but I've never been called that. But that's really what God's trying to do. Let me just make it real simple. A priest isn't, you know, someone who, well, you know what a priest is? It's somebody who helps people connect with God. They, they're, they're a connector. There is God and there's people, and this person says, I'm using my life to connect people to God. And that's really the ministry he's called each and every one of us to, that that he's making us into something, into a family, into a house for people who are far away from him, and he's making us into a family, and he wants you as a living stone to be a connector, to connect people into his kingdom. You become a priest at what you do, and you participate in that. So you're running a camera right now. You're a priest in God's house, connecting people to God through a screen. Or you serve three and four and five-year-olds, and you back in a, in a classroom teaching children on a, you know, during the service, you're a priest in God's house, you're connecting that five and six-year-old to God. Or you are um, leading a small group in your home, and for that period of time, your house actually becomes an extension of the house of God, and God is using you to be a connector to people between God and, and, and regular life, and you're standing there in the gap. Or you're, you park you, wave, you move cones and you help people park a car and you don't realize you are a priest in God's house because you're the front line of connection, helping somebody connect to God. God is using all of our passions and our abilities together to build something. 
to use us to be connectors of people to him, and he's building us into a spiritual house. Look at this verse again. You're being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Notice how. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We're offering something with our lives. That means it's going to cost us something. It always costs something when we do something spiritual. And we're hoping that, God, the offering that we give to you, hopefully this is acceptable uh, to you. And so it really is a, it's a, it's a verse about having this idea of we're not just laying brick here. God's actually using us for a very great purpose, and we're being very intentional and very deliberate. The, it's, a, it's out of the box to go through life thinking intentionally, God, you're trying to use me to do something really great in your kingdom. I'm one of your living stones in the great house that you're building. And I want to call us to that as we close this series, that we don't just conform to the pattern of this world and think, well, I attend a church. Oh, no, that's just laying a brick. God has called you to be a part as a living stone in the great house that he is building, everyone a necessary part, that you become part of a team of ministers that God uses to build a house, a home, where lost people or wandering people can, can come home. The weary can come home. The lost can come home. And I know we're all at different places on our spiritual journey in this. I mean, some of us, you know, it's your first weekend. I mean, last Sunday, after the 11 o'clock service, a young man came up, and uh, I want you to see this. Remember the spiritual journey? I don't know if we, do we have that? I don't know if we still have that from last, there it is. You know, we're all at different places. And last week, a guy walked up after 11 o'clock, and he says, you were talking right to me. He goes, I was that resisting person. I came in here with a hard heart. I haven't cried in years. I came in, actually, I'm your UPS driver. I deliver stuff here. This is the first time I've ever come. But for whatever reason, he woke up and felt, I need to go to that church. And he came in with a hard heart. He said, I haven't cried in years. He says, but you were talking to me today. And he had tears in his eyes. And he says, what's going on? And I said, are you ready? And he says, I'm ready to come home. And in 15 minutes, we walked back together, and I baptized him in this water right here. He went from resisting to ready in one hour. Only God can do that. Only God can do that. I can't convince anybody to do that. And some of you are at the other end. You're like making a difference. You're reproducing. You're serving. You're giving. You're doing all of that. Some of you are here, and you've got questions still. You've got even maybe a little skeptical. And some of you, maybe you came from somewhere else, and you're just worn out, and you're just tired, and maybe a little wounded. And you say, I don't even want to be talked to really about greater things and doing great stuff. I just want to heal. There's room for everybody on the spiritual journey. But I bring it up to say that the goal uh, my, of my role is to help people understand that I want to help you move forward. I, I, I want to help you continue to go to the next level. Even if you got questions, okay, let me help you with that. If you're wounded, just rest a while, but understand a day's going to come where God wants to ultimately take you to a place of reproduction, where you offer your life. I mean, the end goal of being a follower of Jesus is that you offer your life to him so that he can use you, so ultimately you don't just make a difference, but the lives of people you touch are now making a difference. You're reproducing yourself. When you, when you get to that level, that's... That's what Jesus, he says, that is the life that's really living. You, you start seeing spiritual children, spiritual grandchildren. 
And I've seen that happen. It's the greatest joy in the whole world. That's what I want for you to have. So considering we're all at different levels, and this is going to mean something to different people, I just want to talk about three questions that will help you build an eternal legacy wherever you are in your spiritual journey. Some of us are at different points, and each of these questions are going to mean something different depending on where you are. Here, let's just talk about the first question, which has to do with just the basic level of responsibility. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, so the first question you would ask is this, well, what should I do? Which is a good question for someone just starting out. What should I do if I'm going to give my life as an offering to God? You know, he's given his son, he's forgiven you. He died on a cross for you, and now he asks you for, you know, give your life to him. Okay, now, what does that mean? What should I do? This is the basic level of just, it's just being responsible. Like, what do I need to be responsible for if I'm going to be a part of something that's bigger than me? Why it's a starting point for many is many people have never had the thought in their life that God wanted to use them in the lives of other people. I mean, it just didn't occur to you yet. It's just sort of been, life's been about me and what my plans are and what my dreams and my hopes are. But the base level of responsibility is, is just for, for you as a person to say, at some point, I probably need to take responsibility for the idea that God wants me to take responsibility for my part. Be the living stone in the, in the cathedral, in the house that he is building. And that's a base level of responsibility. Before I, I do more, I need to find out what's, what should I just be doing at a base level? What, what do I need to take care of before I'm entrusted with greater things? So let me give you the thing that's probably the most powerfully transforming practical thing you can do in this area of offering your life as a living sacrifice to God. The first basic practice of responsibility is to bring God's tithe to him. The tithe, the first 10% of our income. Not a lot of people say, well, that's really difficult or legalistic or hard, and I don't feel that way at all. Actually, you know, it is the joy of, of our life to be able to bring back to God just the first part of what he's given to us. And I really do believe the scripture in 2 Corinthians where he says each person should determine or decide what he should do in his own heart and then do it with great joy. And that's the whole idea of this, is that at some point in your life you say, it's my responsibility to make God's kingdom a priority, and I'll do it first before anything else. There's nothing more practical and powerfully transforming than this practice. It's, it seems so hard to do, but once you start, it's not hard at all. It's actually a very small thing. It's just the starting point. Let me illustrate it this way. When my kids were younger, they would come often and they would say, Dad, can I do this? Dad, can I have $20 to go with my friends to go to the movies? And I was always more inclined to say yes to them when they had taken care of the basic responsibility. Like they made their bed, they cleaned up their bathroom, they did the tasks that we asked them to do. If they did those things, I was more apt to entrust them with some greater responsibility. And the God is no different. When you're faithful in the basic responsibility, God says, I can entrust you with more. Now look at this verse. This is the words of Jesus. Luke chapter 16, verse 10. Whoever 
can be trusted with very little, like making your bed. Okay, it can be. I'm helping you parents out here, by the way. This is, this is a good, uh, this is helpful, right? Whoever can be trusted with little can also be trusted with much. You should use that verse. Why should I give you more if you've not been faithful in the little thing? But whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. If you've not been trustworthy in handling you know, your worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? So Jesus is very practical. He says, you want to do some great things? You want to have a legacy that's eternal? It starts with being faithful in the basic level of responsibility. And this is the most spiritually transforming practice I know. It will change your life. Last, the last weekend of the year. That's right now. This is my last, my, my next message is a Christmas message. So here's my last message to you for the year of 2014. I want to say thank you to every one of you who practice this principle of tithing, who are starting to practice this principle, who have said, all right, I'm getting started, I'm working my way there, I'm trying. I want to say thank you for that because you have gone already, you're already out of the box. In fact, if you take the national average of what giving is in churches today, you guys are so out of the box already. This church is doubles and even goes far beyond what the average giving is. You've, you've already exceeded and gone way out of the box. And some of you have gone, you don't even have a box anymore. You left the tithe a long time ago. And you are experiencing, you would say, the blessings of God are ridiculous. And that's a true as I know how to say it. That's the way it is. So I want to thank you for that. And that leads to the second question that you should ask, which not just what I, what I should do, but what could I do? I mean, not just what should I do, but nobody's saying I have to. I'm not, God's not requiring it. Nobody's demanding it. I'm being faithful. And I don't have to, but what could I do? That's the next level of basic responsibility and leaving a legacy. Like, I don't have to do this, but I, what could I do? It's a level of sacrifice. I'm going to write that word in, sacrifice, because one of the great pleasures and the great satisfactions of life is knowing that what I did and knowing what I did, what it cost. You know, because everything great costs something. I mean, you, you know the effort and the energy and the resources that went into doing the great thing. Because everything great in life costs something. If it was so easy and it wasn't, I mean, that's why nobody's doing it, right? Because great things require, they're costly. It's out of the box. And you can't build an eternal legacy without it costing you something. So let me just illustrate it this way. When you go out, if you go out for dinner this evening and you go to the restaurant, there is a standard of sort of a base level for what the tip should be, right? I don't know what you tip. Some people are in this range of 10% to 15% to 20%. It's kind of the base level. But every so often, something happens. There's an experience, and you say, I don't want to just do what I have to do. I, I want to do more. You, you want to bless that person. You want to go above and beyond. You say, what can I do? Because what has happened is so much greater than what you expected. And nobody's making you do that. You see, what a great opportunity that we as Christians have to surprise people. I want you to go out tonight. If you're out and you're eating, you leave that server. You could leave them a mind-blowing 
tip. It's a little thing for you, but it's so unexpected. Especially you put one of those um, cards, those invitation cards for a Christmas. By the way, you leave one of those cards, you better tip. Don't be cheap. Don't you dare. <laughs> don't be, don't be ha passing out heart, you know, Jesus' name and then being super cheap. You want to blow their mind. Because here's the thing. You want to surprise people. I mean, here's a lady. Probably you think of your server probably some single mom working a bunch of jobs or, or a student that's struggling or whoever. I mean, think about who's doing that job and you have the opportunity to, show, to surprise them and then show them through your actions a great experience with a Christian. And then on top of that, it may be the first entryway to saying, well, you know, somebody really cared about me. Maybe God cares about me. Maybe he wants to bless me too, you see. So don't be cheap, be a blessing. And, you know, I, I think about this. What does this mean for us as a church? I mean, I think about all the things that God has let us do. I mean, I think about what some of the stuff you just saw on the screen a moment ago. 21 people off rescued, off the streets, no longer homeless, integrating back in jobs and rehabilitation. You know, one of those men we've known for over a year, he's getting his, his one-year um, sobriety token tomorrow night right here at Heartland. I mean, these are real people, and I think 21 people, that's, that was amazing. Nobody made us do that, but what could we do? There's hundreds. What could we do? We did 100 wells, but what could we do for the people who are asking us and begging us to come? You know, what about the 22 children that are in that uh, World Hope um, sex trafficking shelter? It's amazing what's happening in those lives of those 22 little children, but what could we do? See, that's always the question the mature ask. is not just what we have to do, but what could we do? What could we do for the kingdom? What could we sacrifice? Greater things are done by people who say, you know what, we could do more. And I want to show you a passage in Scripture where this actually happened. Paul, uh, Paul was writing in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 about these people who said, we can do more. Look what they said. They gave as much as they were able even beyond their abilities. They weren't just doing level one. They went above and beyond. And check this out. They did it entirely on their own. In fact, they pleaded with us, with Paul and his leaders, for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. So, so the leaders of the church didn't get up there and say, here's what we should do. The people said, hey, we think we can do more. And it blew everybody's mind. You know, 13 years ago, when we started Heartland Church, there wasn't any of this. In fact, I remember we were meeting at a Holiday Inn, and this was just a warehouse, not even half the size of this room. But there was a warehouse in here, and I brought the 45 people over, and I was all of 30 years old, and I didn't probably do a very good job, but I just shared a very, I shared a big dream. You know, could we do this? And I remember there's 45 adults who began to serve and to sacrifice and to give for a dream. I mean, eBaying for Jesus kind of stuff. I mean, selling stuff and giving stuff and working and everybody. It was, it was incredible. 45 people. I can't even explain to you what that means to me when I think, when I anticipate that this week 4,000 people will come through our doors, hear the gospel, 54 tons of food were given out into our community, we're about to bless our city and our world with hundreds of thousands of dollars, and I think about 45 people who begin to just go above and beyond for a dream. We never saw it, but they saw it by faith. That's what's so amazing about a group of people who understand the legacy that they're building for God's kingdom.
and it's awesome. It's never going to be easy, you know, to do sacrifice. But the paradox of sacrifice is that on the other side, once you do it, it's really not that hard. It's really hard to think about and to do the sacrifice, but on the other side, I'm telling you, sacrifice isn't sacrifice. You look back and say, well, like the Schindler moment, you say, I could have done, wait a second, I could have done more. That's the great paradox of the sacrifice. So I want you to think about every part of your life. How can you sacrifice for others? Like you pass out those little invitation cards and you invite people, invariably someone's going to say, well, the best time that works for me is not the service or the location that you normally go to. What are you going to do? Are you going to adapt and say, well, I'm going to go sit with them, whatever service they want to go to, because I want to be with them so they'll feel comfortable and they'll feel welcome when they hear the gospel. We just adapt because we're the people of God building. We're a living stone. We're not just a hard rock. We're building something greater than ourselves. There's one more level to the eternal legacy. It's not just what we should do or what we could do, but it's what we, we would do if. And I love this one because this is the one where you say, well, I can't. I don't have it. But God, if you would blank, then I would blank. It is an awesome way to live. God, not, not I can't, but if you would. Do me a favor. Everybody, let's, let's do a little audience participation, okay? I promise you I'm not going to hurt you or do anything weird, all right? Everybody just lift your hands as high as you can lift them, just for a second. You're not Pentecostals. Just lift them as high as you can lift them, just for a second, okay? All right, now just reach a little bit higher. Now, see, I asked you the first time, and you said, I said, lift it as high as you could, and you lifted, and I said, just a little bit higher, and then you stretched. So what was that? You, went, you did more than you thought you could do. All right, now touch the ceiling. And you say, well, I can't do that. Well, okay, what about if we went and got the lift in the back and brought that in here, and then we lifted you to the top? I mean, would you touch it then? You see, this is the problem. We don't, rec we don't recognize, we, oh, I can't do that. Well, why don't you just start praying, well, God, if you would bring the lift in and help me get to it, I could do even more than I could even ask or think. And imagine, that's what that verse means. God, I would if you would. God, if you would do this, then I would do that. That's the story of our church. I came here and I didn't know one person in our city. I was, didn't have any resources, no money, no building, nothing. But I, but I began to realize if we could start a daycare, we could minister to families. But I don't know anything about running a daycare. I don't even have a building. I don't have any money. But God, if you would provide a building, I would. And God, if you'd provide a director, and if you would provide the resources, if you would provide all the things that we needed, God, we would do this. We would minister to those families. And that's how we got this building. <laughs> because we just simply said, we had a dream. We, said, we were dreaming. See, this level of living is reserved for the dreamers. It takes something called faith. You remember what faith is? Remember? Faith is the substance of things. What are you hoping for? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. This is the level of dreaming. You say, well, that doesn't sound very responsible. Well, it's the third level. You've already been responsible. You've proved that. You've already gone above and beyond. You've got a history. You're the kind of people that God says, you're safe to bless with some, with some great things. I want to show you this. I mean, God, if you would, look at this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Who would you give the ability to do great things to if you were God? 
the ones who are already being faithful. Right? Look at this verse. Now he who supplies seed to the who? To the sower, to the one that's already sowing. God says, God provides the seed to the sower. So whether you like it or not, God does not give his resources out equally to everybody. He gives seed to the sower. He'll give bread for food. He who gives bread for food will supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness because you were faithful with a little. Now I can entrust you with more. And he goes on to say that if you weren't faithful with the little I gave you, I'll take that away too. Fact, that's what the scripture says. So he'll enlarge the harvest of your righteousness so that you will be, ri- you will be enriched in every way. Look at this. So that, what? You can be generous on every occasion. This isn't prosperity gospel. This is not about uh, God giving to you so that you can increase your standard of living. It's God, increase my standard of giving. God, make it possible for me to do more for you. If you would, then, then this is what we would. This is the greater things. And see, the great thing about what's happening now at Heartland is I'm not the only one that has to go out and dream and try to recruit people. God is, look, there are dreamers all over this congregation. Like Kevin Sliwa. Sells insurance, and he said to me one day, he says, Darren, I think we should go after and feed the homeless, and let's go do a homeless ministry. That was not my idea. It wasn't even on my radar, and we just said, go for it. And pretty soon, there were hundreds of people every weekend going down to feed the homeless. So then last year, he comes, and he says, you know, if we could fund, you know, if, if, if God could make it possible to fund a full-time position, we could quadruple our ministry. And we said, go for it. And that's exactly what's happened. I think of a man named Tom Branham who had the dream for the hundred wells in Sierra Leone. Not my dream. I didn't see that. I thought we could maybe do like three or, or ten if we were lucky. And he says, no, you know what? What if we could involve the whole city and a whole other organization and other people? Let's do a hundred wells. And because Tom was a dreamer and he dreamed for the glory of God this month, a hundred, that's a hundred thousand people In this country you never heard of until just a few months ago. See, here's what God was doing. God was putting us in that country in advance. It would be, we're not serving the poor in Sierra Leone today because we just have a knee-jerk reaction. We've been there for years. God had been setting us up so when that Ebola crisis hit, the people of God, we are, bit, we, we are there. We're not just uh, providing clean water wells. The way you treat Ebola is with hydration, lots of water. And now we're also providing ambulances and medical supplies, and we're, we're rescuing kids that, whose parents died. I mean, we're there. We get to participate where Jesus is right now in the world. Because a long time ago, about six, seven years ago, a guy had a dream. I want to tell you that God has some dreams for you to accomplish, and you don't dream them because you live inside of a box with a lid on it because you never once prayed, God, if you would, then I would. If you will take care of the basic level of responsibility, and then you'll, you'll move through these questions, not just what should I do, but what could I do, but God, what would I do? See, that's how I pray every day. I say, God, you've blessed us. Let us do more. God, you've provided for us. God, let us, let us do more. God, if you would do this, then we would do this. See, we're not asking to build our name. We're asking to be a blessing to others. We're not asking God to bail us out. We're asking, we're being good stewards. Do you know that with all of this giving, I'm so proud to tell you that, that Heartland Church is paying the mortgage on our property and on this building, the principal to the tune of half a million a year. 
And even with all of this, we're not, we're not asking God to bail us out. God's blessing us because we are being a blessing to others. And, you know, I just pray now, God, if you would just accelerate that, you just make that, how much more could we do? God, send people to bless your kingdom so that we can do even more in your name. That's a faithful prayer. That's a dreaming prayer. I'm excited. I don't know if you guys are excited, but I'm excited about that. I think we're perfectly positioned. I think we are perfectly positioned as a people to expect God to do even greater things. Now, I want to just bless you with these final two verses, and then we're going to be done. But this is what it means to build an eternal legacy. Psalm 112, verse 9. People who are building an eternal legacy. I mean, the people that are going to stand before God, and he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Look what happens to them. They will share freely and give generously to those in need, and their good deeds will be remembered forever. They will have influence and honor. In 1 Timothy 6, verse 18, command them to do good. That was written to a pastor, by the way. So Pastor Darren, command your church to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they can take hold of the life that is truly life. And that's the end of your out-of-the-box series. To God be the glory. Okay, I hope you receive it. I just want to pray for you for just a moment. Would you bow your heads for just a minute? I don't know if... What if somebody, what if somebody just wandered in here tonight and you're just feeling so far from God? I want you to know it's not by accident. God brought you here on purpose. And he knows your name and he cares about you. And he wants to invite you into his, into his family. And here's the thing. I just want to be really clear. You can't work your way into God's good books. You can't do anything. Only Jesus can save you. Only Jesus can, can pay the price for your sin. Somebody will pay the price for your sin, and, and it would be stupid for you to do it when Jesus has already done it. So why not make the easiest decision you'll ever make? And at the same time, it's the most costly decision you've ever made because he's going to ask you for everything. He's going to say, I'll give you forgiveness. I'll give you everything, but I want you to give me your life. I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey, where you are, but tonight I want to just pray for some of you who want to start following Jesus and really want to give him your whole life. Maybe you prayed this prayer when you were a child or a long time ago, and you've just fallen away or you've wandered away, but tonight you want to do it. Just, just for a second, I want to include you in my prayer. Just raise your hand real quick for a second. Say, Darren, that's me. Pray for me. Pray for me. Yes. Yes. Awesome. Anyone else? Pray for me. All right. Father, thank you for these people who have said, I want to give you my whole life. And just say this prayer with me. It's such a powerful prayer when you say, God, I know who you are. You're God and I'm not. You say, yes, God, that's me. I'm, I'm sorry for resisting you. I'm sorry for putting up barriers to you. I'm sorry for trying to run things. I'm sorry for the mistakes I've made. And you say, Jesus Christ, be my Lord and Savior. I'm ready. I'm ready to follow you ready to surrender to you. 
Say, yes, God, that's me. And Father, I pray for every other person in this room, too, that we won't settle for an in-the-box life, that we will not just be satisfied with what we should do and just live at the level of basic responsibility, but we'll start to pray these great prayers. God, what, what could you do? And even, Lord, call some dreamers tonight. Maybe you say, God, make me a dreamer. People who aren't limited by, their, by the lack of what they have in their hand, but they start to dream. I mean, I just pray, Lord, that you'll use some people here to build some things that will rescue people who are trapped in cycles of poverty. I mean, Lord, just 10 minutes from here, people with no medical care and people with, you know, the foreigner and the, the marginalized and the oppressed, Lord, use some people right here to come up with the ideas and to, to see it in their hearts, to build great things and to be a living stone in your kingdom. And you say, Lord, I surrender to that. Yes, God, use me. Get us out of our box tonight, Lord. We surrender to you in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, 